Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high-growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There is no time to wait, so let's begin. Hey all, welcome back. This is Startup Grind Global Podcast. This is Chris Janyu. Today we're talking with Casey Fenton, who was previously a founder at Couchsurfing.com, so uh, incredible entrepreneur, now um, founder of Upstock.io, and um, we're talking about equity in stock options, and I learned a lot. I hope you do too. Um, and the product's really cool, kind of gamifies. Um, it's gamified dashboard where you can see what your stock's worth. Employees, it makes it makes stock real, right? Whereas you don't just kind of don't know what what's happening with it or what it's worth. And and it's got the way to a way to kind of incentivize your employees and um and allow them to you know get extra stock for doing extra tasks and so on. So really cool stuff. And what was really kind of shocking to me was that these typical stock option plans, um, so that. Most startups have because they can't afford these RSU units that um, where that um, Casey's trying to address. Means that you know this big payday that we expect when there's an exit, oftentimes doesn't occur because you need to pay for the option to get the upside, and you might not have the money. I mean, you know, as startup founders and startup employees, oftentimes we take a cut in pay to get the stock. And at the end, if you can't buy the stock to get that payday, it's just crazy. Um, so, yeah, lots to learn. Hope you get it as much out of it as I did. Enjoy. Welcome, Casey. How you been, buddy? Hey, thanks, Chris. I have been doing most excellent. Thanks for asking. How's How um, COVID been treating you? COVID's been actually... Um, I've actually enjoyed the time of COVID because... It's allowed me to be um, just more focused, more intentional, connecting with my family more, spending quality time, um, you know, kind of upgrading my life all around and, of course, trying to stay safe. So all around, it's been um, been thankful for for the time. You know, it's, it's challenging that and, and sad that we're going all going through this together, but it's it's got the upsides as well, of course. Well, it is a, you're, you're a kind of a, a glass half full kind of guy, Casey. <laughs> I might say so. <laughs> I might say so. Yes. Yeah. I think there probably be some people that I ask that question, but like, this is terrible. Um, yeah. But um, look, so I want to go through your journey today and um, from couch surfing through to um, upstock. I'm really interested um, to hear everything. But what I usually start with is the question Was there a mother or father that was an entrepreneur? That's how far I go back. Yeah, right. I, li- I love it. Um, yes, kind of. Uh, and yes, I think. So, but I don't think that my parents inch, like kind of, well, maybe they did. I don't know. Good. Qu- that's a great question, right? So my mother is a naturopathic doctor. So kind of like the, you know, the healthy, eat, eat well, you know, quasi against, West, against Western medicine. Um, you know, looking to you know help people eat well and take some vitamins, which has definitely influenced me in my health practices. But you know, seeing her start her business, but then also I think struggle with her business over the years because she wasn't necessarily a business person; she was more of a healer. 
Uh, and so, see, I, you know, definitely learned some things in that. Uh, my father dabbled in in becoming an entrepreneur, had a, a, a part car part delivery service out of the back of his truck um, at one point, but was mostly kind of worked for machine shops and surveying, and then also, um, you know, in, in as a school teacher. So, mm-hmm. seen my parents do lots of different jobs, and my mother definitely doing some some entrepreneurial things, but I didn't feel like they were entrepreneurs. Uh, not in the same way that I've experienced entrepreneurialism. I became a programmer, computer programmer for $60 an hour back in, I don't know, when I was like 16, 17 years old. So I've um, always had, you know, my, my first consultancy and then started my first company back when I was like 18, 19, sold it within, you know, a couple of years of starting it. So um, different, just different worlds of entrepreneurialism. But yeah, I think you're, you're onto something there. Was there... Was there a, a time, a, a moment that you can remember when you were young, where you were out selling baseball cards or, you know, raking, you know, doing lawns? Yeah. That is kind of your first. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I was uh, shearing sheep on islands. Um, some wow. friends of ours had, had a sheep, sheep shearing business. I also, like when I was 14, I think I was in New Hampshire where I grew up. Um, I'm actually in my childhood home right now visiting mom. Uh when I, I just down the road, there's a seafood restaurant and I would work my butt off for $4 an hour. Uh, I remember one week I pulled home a hundred dollars and I bought myself a CD player. It was glorious. It was so good. <laughs> well deserved. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, but other, other than that, I've, you know, small jobs, mowing lawns, just whatever I could get my, get whatever I could do. I, Oh, one thing I did is I made a lot of pizza at these festivals at this fly at this traveling pizza show with these hippies. So I got to throw pizza over telephone lines and, all kinds of fun stuff. So that was another one of the many businesses started. Well, yeah. well, I want I have to dig into that another time. But so so you end up computer programming. So I didn't know you. So you're the technical co-founder. Yes. So I am definitely a technical co-founder. I spent years and years. I mean, programming, couchsurfing. I did all the early day stuff. Um, yeah, probably up to about a million members, and that was you know scaling out all the servers, doing DevOps. Doing sys administration, firing up servers, bare metal installs, all the way to programming PHP and making the code have to run on a small number of servers because we only had so many dollars and had a lot more members. Right. And, uh, well, sorry. So b- before that, right, your education, you said you, you yeah. did um, yeah. computer science? That's right. So I went, I graduated from high school a year early from Freiburg Academy in, in Maine. And then I went off and went to school for for digital imagery and, and computer science, really. For the, for, did one year of computer science and then dropped out to start another company or my first company. And then, um, yeah, so kind of an accelerated track a little bit. But yeah, you're right. The technical, definitely the technical part of the co-foundering. And what was that first company? Well, a company called Higher Ability. It is a kind of like an Upwork or Odesk. And mm-hmm. when I was, I think it was around 2000 or so. Um, maybe 2001, and the largest staffing company in New England bought into us, acquired us, and then I worked for the company for a couple more years, which was fun. Uh, then the dot-com bubble burst, and then the company didn't do so well, of course, and I uh, was lucky enough to have already sold my stock and gotten out. Uh, so great lesson, great experience. Uh, That's incredible. So yeah, sometimes t- timing, right? Always a thing, seems to be a thing. That's what they say. Timing is the number one chance uh, determinant of success in startups, even more than team and idea. That's what I hear. 
based on the and, start, and, start, startup genome project said so, at least for, for this. And so what did, what did mom and, mom and dad think when you said you're quitting school to do that? I think they thought it, I don't know, they, they were, they were folks that weren't, didn't give me a lot of messages growing up. My mother <laughs> said, my mother said, be, be vegetarian, be healthy and be nice to people. And my yep. dad as well. well. That's good. But, but they didn't say that I needed to be Democrat or Republican. They didn't really give me any messages about how I needed to be. So I kind of had to figure all, all of that out on my own. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a blessing and a curse. There's great things to that, but then there's also basically no guidance. So it took me longer to figure some th things out, as you can imagine. Right. Well, entrepreneur sounds like it was the key. And, and you got, so you got, you know, some, some money early on, I take it. And then, um, and um, hooked, hooked on the startup game, I guess, since you're still, you know, founding companies. Indeed. I think you're, that's very true. Very, very true. And when, when did, um, if I can kind of skip forward a little bit to couch surfing, right? Sure. And I would say, um, uh, you know, it's not the normal thing for, for, you know, Americans, majority of Americans, right, to be big travelers. So how did you kind of get that bug and then turn it into yeah. business? Great question. Um, I think it, you know, I heard, I heard stories from my parents about they, they did some travels and back when they were kids, they're, you know, in their twenties or whatever, they, I think they got a VW van and travel around the West or my father went to Europe and hung out in Amsterdam and slept on the streets or something. And just some funny <laughs> stories, right. But they, they didn't really like, they didn't really tell me too, too many stories. So I have that at least like, okay, that's possible. You can go and travel. That's like a possibility. Uh, but I think it, what really came to me was um, after, you know, I got my car and I fixed up my car and rebuilt the transmission and my Saab, my old Saab. And then I drive it around and go to these pizza fairs, fairs and shows and stuff, and then drive across country exploring. Um, and then I think eventually, you know, I, I was in love with this girl from high school and she broke my heart, broke up with me. And I was just so sad, so sad for so long. And I started to travel and then traveling, I think really started to mend my broken heart. And I think traveling was um, just what opened my mind to the, that there's more to this world. And it uh, allowed me to see that traveling can really be healing. So I thought, well, this is really great. I really learned a lot from this. And wouldn't it be great if I could do this some more? And would this be great if I could help other people do this? So well, let, of, let, me, yeah. let, me, let me stop you there for a second. Where yeah, did yeah. you go? And what did you learn? Okay. Um, so one of the places that I went first was I got a cheap ticket to uh, to Netherlands. And I didn't know anything about Netherlands. I didn't know that that's where people go and smoke a lot of weed and like hang out in hostels. I didn't know any of that. All I knew was it's the cheapest place I could go. And it was in the middle of winter. And so I flew there. And I on the way, I stopped in London for like six hours layover. And then um, went for like two, two days. And it was kind of like overwhelming for me. I was very shy and one of the more shy people in my class growing up. Mm -hmm. So when I saw this like flashing lights and people smoking weed and I was just like, whoa, this is too much. And I was kind of shy and people invited me to go something rave. And I was like, no way. That's completely <laughs> crazy. I'm not going to do that. Um, but, it, you know, it, it was it was wild. And, and then eventually like went to a lot of other places. Um, one of the people I worked pizza with, uh, they their, fam their family is from Trinidad. And they mm -hmm. said, well, why don't, you, why don't you come with me to Trinidad and go visit my family? I've never met them before because they grew up in the U.S. So I went, 
got to visit the, meet the family. I got to see the, the grandmother doing voodoo on chickens on the top mm. of the roof. And the grandfather uh, with an old Skoda driving us around with like, you know, band, you know duct tape and bubble gum or something, holding this thing together. And um, got to see that world, uh, explore that. That was amazing. And then, you know, traveling around the country, many, many times traveling around the U.S. Um, and then there, you know, there are other adventures traveling to Nova Scotia. I remember it's a whole bunch. And, and then what you thought, like, this is something I want to do. Like, was it, was it kind of a, a selfish, a selfish kind of motivation? Like maybe this is a way that I can kind of rent, you know, mm-hmm. do it and travel and have a business and travel, or was it, there's a bigger problem here? Um, I think that it was just really this just raw excitement just from deep inside that I was learning and growing and, you know, growing up in a small town, Brownfield, Maine, with a thousand people that live there and living on, you know, rural route one is the ad- one of the, ad- the address I grew up at and living is all on dirt roads with cabins as well. Um, just see, just imagining this world and, and thinking about free will, will I live and die in this town, the small town? I want to, I want I'm just super hungry to, to learn and grow as a person and then somehow figure out a better life, how to contribute to the world in a bigger way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really what it was about for me. It's really about finding a better way to contribute to the world and grow personally. So I think that was the genesis. And then the more I did this, I thought this would be so cool. If other people could do this with me if we could do this together. And it went from there. Okay, so can you just explain from like a, I guess from a business perspective, how couch surfing started and kind of scaled out. Absolutely. So I think one of the best decisions I made early on was to put in this thing called verification. So for couch surfers, they'll all know about this. And I, I launched couch surfing in 2003 as a, uh, just a closed network, really. You couldn't join unless you knew somebody who was already a member. And as, as for those of you who know about viral loops, and viral coefficients, the viral coefficient was not strong with that one. And so it was just decelerating and not growing. So in the beginning of 2004, when I was working in politics in Alaska, I said, well, there has to be a way to solve this problem. And I thought, well, what if we created, created an open network, but we'll keep a closed network inside. And then when people meet those, those, other, those untrusted, unverified people and unvouched for people, they can become vouched for and become part of that inner network. And then and I launched it at that time. I said, well, I don't know which safety system will help this work because clearly people are afraid of other people and they want to be safe. So I like, said, okay, I'll just throw out the kitchen sink in it. I'll just say, there's vouching, there's verification, there's references and so on. And that mm-hmm. was, I think, what was enough to get give people enough confidence and, and feeling safe to, to get out there and meet people, meet couch surfers. And so then, and, and then were you, were you still traveling? It sounds like you were if you're in Alaska at this time. Were you using yes. the product? Yes and no, because at the very beginning, I was working in politics, and so I had to, you know, imagine it was almost most of the time it was either super light during the day or just super dark and only light three or four hours a day. And so I was very, very tied down with um, just business, doing, doing the, working for this um, Senate campaign, and then, um, then eventually working on couch surfing and then doing my own side consultancy to make enough money to afford the website to keep going because initially we didn't really make much money, but a very, very soon, the very beginning, I did put in um, verification. And so this is before anybody had joined. We had any ambassadors, just, it was basically just me on my own. And I got, we got lucky by putting verification in $25 per person and people could get a special icon and prove that they're, you know, safer. 
And that was what really gave us enough income. I think 6,000 the first year and like 30,000 the second year in 2005. Um, and then and tripling after that approximately. And that was what really made everything possible because then I could eventually, after a year and a half, two years, I could stop doing my regular job and trying to make income. And I could pay myself $20,000 and, and start focusing my entire existence on making couchsurfing happen. And you know, programming it every day, staying up till staying awake three days in a row to keep programming. That was the idea. Incredible, and 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 you must have heard some pretty crazy stories. Is there any 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 of your favorites you'd like to share? Um, well, there's so many. Gosh, I mean, just thousands. Uh, one one that I like to share that's really cool is I remember one person was hosting me in Paris, and he said, "Casey, this is really great." Because um, I used to be really not not a very cool person. I was extremely shy, and I said said to him, "Yeah, me too. Like this, I I feel you on that." And he said he was able to keep hosting people, and he just have new people coming every night, making dinner, chat about the world. And he said that over time he became cool. It was like he got to keep practicing over and over again, connecting with people and getting over his shyness, and mm -hmm. uh, eventually feeling like he just had that kind of nice flow where he could um, connect with anybody, any kind of person. And that was, he said, that was one of the greatest things that had ever happened to him. And I completely agree. That was completely my experience as well. Incredible. And, and, and this, this, this is no small business, right? You got mil to millions of users. That's right. Yeah. We have tens and tens of millions of users around the world. Um, just keeps growing, keeps, you know, evolving. Some people are saying, what well, was couchsurfing popular back in the day? Well, what I've noticed is that couchsurfing gets becomes popular in different age demographics. Often, at least for surfing, it's you know people who are younger in uh, in general, not always people of all ages really. But uh, when people get older, they maybe stop couchsurfing as much a little bit. But you know there's still plenty of people at every age, and so they think maybe couch people are couchsurfing anywhere, but that's just not true. People couchsurf a lot, and they they do have all ages, so it's just continued to be pretty steady and if not growing which has been great to see because I really want to make sure that couchsurfing is a backstage path to the world. And so I was there. And did you, and, and is this still your business or you exited or what, what happened? Great question. Um, so I, I ran it for almost 10 years and then we, we became a non, we were a nonprofit seeking the charitable status with the IRS. Cause usually what you do is you just start operating that way. And then you hope that they'll give it to you within two years. Unfortunately mm -hmm. for us, after five years, they wouldn't give it to us. They said, couchsurfing to them, it looks like a way to save money. And they just weren't having it. So they said, you got to go and become a regular corporation. Unless, unless you change it so that um, you decide, you know, the company, the organization decides who gets to meet, like a cultural exchange program. And then those people go and have the cultural exchange where we say, and then they write an essay about how they've had this, you know, cultural exchange and learning. They said, if you do it that way, then we'll maybe let you have this this um, 501c3. But if you don't, there's no way. So we said that is clearly not what couchsurfing is about. And they also wanted to charge, start charging, taxing people on the value that they received from saving money while couchsurfing. I said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's just, don't, don't go there. Please do not go there. Yeah. They didn't, thankfully. But uh, this was um, pretty wild to go through all this and kind of have to go back on this big promise I had to members saying, you know, I, they, they, we're a nonprofit. We aren't looking to charge people. We're not looking to make money. We're looking to create this great thing in the world, and then have to change into what we we instead of doing a C corp like a money you know money money focused corporation, we were 
it's like, well, let's do that that nice in between um, impact corporation, which is called a B corporation. We chose that, mm -hmm. and so I think that's been pretty good. That was the best best option operation. Uh, sorry, best opportunity considering where we were at, but it was extremely um, extremely challenging for the community. Where I here I am, I promise. Okay, we'll never become a nonprofit. We're never. We'll always stay a nonprofit. We'll never become a for profit. Then we have to. So that was really hard. And I made the big mistake where I talked to people intellectually. I was like, basically, let me tell you all the reasons why we have to do this instead of meeting people more emotionally where they're at. And uh, since yeah. I think I've since learned that lesson, hopefully. Yeah, well, millions of people to deal with, not easy. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and then, so st still your business? Um, well, once we got investors involved, it was, I mean, never my business. It was all of our business together. Mm. And so we, we basically gave the ownership to all the people that were working on it as like uh, stock options. Mm. And of course there were investors. So after a couple of years, we had so many cooks in the kitchen and eventually I decided I wanted to leave. I had mm -hmm. the opportunity to, and it was just too, too heartbreaking for me, too challenging to keep going given the circumstances. I can't talk about all of it, of course. That's yeah, uh, yeah. I wish I could, um, that would be great. But uh as you imagine, sometimes founders depart, and I was departing. So, uh, yeah, that was that was it was you know challenging, but um also it ended up working out okay for me because I got to go work on some other things, which are which I'm super passionate about. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes it's just the it's the time, right? And then it doesn't feel That's like right. it's um, right at that particular moment. But uh, we always have these aha moments looking back, you know. Yeah. Um, so, can, yeah, so I'm still uh, I'm still one of, still one of the top shareholders, of course, but uh, just I don't I don't run it day to day, and so it's hard for me when people approach me and say, "Can you solve this problem for me?" And I say, "Well, I'm, I'm sorry, that's not me anymore." Hmm. Yeah, and what do you still sleep on a couch for old times' sake? <laughs> of course, yeah, as much as I can when traveling, awesome. I stay with people, or sometimes have people come stay with me. Unfortunately, I can't turn my profile on hosting. I have it on maybe um, at, yet. I can't, or just can't do that at this time for various reasons, but um, love meeting couch surfers as many places as possible around the world and staying with them and, um, and uh, yeah, just sharing experiences as much as like, as much as possible. And then, so I want to jump onto Upstock because I really love this product. Sure. Um, and, but bef in between, right? Um, there was, there's also Wonder. Is that right? That's right. You got it. Yeah, and I love this product. Um, I did not know this was yours mm -hmm. until after we met. Um, mm. Or you know, or you know, I'll get your bio for the for the conference or whatever. But um, um, I would use it all the time. I, I still use it now. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, there are just just to be clear, there are many wonders, many wonder companies sorry, out ask there. Wonder, so. Askwonder.com. No, this is not my company. <laughs> this is okay. why the, the, the this is why the wonder the word wonder I've shied away from using um, because it can be a confusing name. There's just so, there's a few companies out there with that name. So yeah, right, well, I've, let's scrap we that. Don't, we just, <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't we, I don't I know those people. We talked a little bit. I think they wanted to use our trademark or something, and I don't remember exactly so what happened. Wonder, but, yeah. I, well, I just gave them a big plug. They, they are, uh, all right. what's the one what's the wonder business then what's the the url sure. yeah so it was it's not in uh, operation anymore we raised two million dollars uh it was wndr.co mm -hmm. uh, or one wonder app.com we both look at both uh 
both URLs, which we don't need anymore, but um, we still own, I guess. Uh, but what, what Wonder is about is it's about 360 degree feedback on life's most important questions, average and anonymous. So you can discover what do your friends think about you on a scale of one to five in regarding, regards to questions like, you know, would, would, you, would, would this friend bring you some super food if you were sick? Would they take care of you? Um, there's questions around emotional intelligence, around taking care of each other, things like that, around sustainability. Uh, but the challenge was I couldn't raise enough money at, at the, at, in 2016 to get it off the ground and it was getting harder and harder to raise and I wasn't quite sure where we needed to go. So I said, I'm gonna put the company on pause. Uh, the company is supposed to become a universal reputation. Once you collect what other people think of you, you can use that as universal reputation, social credit score. And, Interesting. but that, yeah, we weren't able to quite get that off the ground. But the one, one cool thing that happened was in that we got to uh, incubate Upstock um, and mm -hmm. you know, before before it was even a company because we needed it for ourselves, and uh, that's where Upstock that's the Upstock genesis. All right, so let's 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 talk about this, and um, and I, I do want to mention um, a startup by a, a, a guy I know who was um, engineering at Oxford called Reputation Air. We'll have to just I think maybe I want to connect you there and give it a plug. He's doing this same kind of thing um, around reputation um mm. i love this as a concept because it you know the idea that um you know my my reputation is transferable between uber and couch surfing or airbnb whatever is a really novel idea that you know makes complete sense um right um but yeah so um he might need some help <laughs> that's where i was going with that one all right um mm -hmm. and then so upstock let me see if I got the pitch right. Um, okay. I am a new company. All the, you know, I'm, I'm doing a startup. I got my, my my friends involved. There's always this problem with equity, and there's always this, you know, um, and then, and then as you scale out, it becomes more and more complicated. Investors get involved. Employees. How do you incentivize employees? And you've mm -hmm. got this really great product called Upstock, where I can set up correctly from the beginning mm -hmm. i can i get the same kind of stock plans that facebook and these big corporations have that have to pay hundred thousand dollars for more whatever um mm -hmm. and then you've kind of um gamified the back end so i can mm -hmm. as an employee log in at any time and see my shares go up and then therefore i'm like motivated to do more um you know to kind of get more How'd I go? You, you, I think you're right on it there, Chris. Good work. <laughs> good memory and good intuition with, I mean, you, you run across so many companies and so many startups for you to remember all that is pretty, pretty impressive. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so it's basically a way to share equity in a company in almost 70 countries around the world. And, you know, this started off when I was in couchsurfing and we got the stock option plans from some of the, the top equity or top lawyers in the Valley, in Silicon Valley. And I went to my workers and I gave them to them. I said, here's your stock option plans. It's so exciting. Look, we just got Series A funding and oh, isn't, aren't, isn't like great. And they came back to me and said, uh, like looking at me, kind of funny, funny, give me a funny look. Like, is this a scam? I was like, oh, what, are you, what, are you, what are you talking about scam? I mean, this is like the best stuff, right? And they look at me, they're like, but from what I can understand from the stock options, I have to buy them later. 
what is that about? Why would I have to buy them? I should just be earning them as I go, right? I'm like, mm. oh, well, it's some complicated, you know, IRS stuff and blah, blah. And they're like, I don't, this just sounds all sketchy. Um, it sounds like it's a way for the company to get, get, get my stock back. And then I, if I don't buy them and I leave the company, I lose them. They just vaporize. Or if I do buy them and then the company doesn't work out, then I've just lost all that money that I used to buy them. Or I might not be able to afford to buy them because then they might be 30 or 50 or $100,000. This seems like a, like a game stacked against me. And I thought, yeah, you know, I kind of thought that myself. Uh, so I went back to our lawyer. I said, Steve, yo, what up? Uh, this makes no sense. And he laughs and he says, and he'd already be, he, you know, he was the guy that did the Instagram deal that year, mm -hmm. the billion dollar Instagram deal. So he already kind of had probably made a bunch of money in that. I don't know. Um, and he, maybe he had enough money where he could just tell me like it was, like it is. And he mm -hmm. said, yeah, it's, lawyers are incentivized to, to keep things, you know, more billable hours, right? More billable hours is good. And more complexity is good for that. Yes, they start off, well, well they want to give you stock options for free or something like that. But really, you pay for them later. Of course, it's not, not, that's not going to be free. You're going to pay later in complexity. You're going to pay later in 409 evaluations, you know, all this stuff. And he said there are better systems, but they're, they're still up market. It's you know, top companies that can afford them. And they're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions. He said there's even this, this um, they call performance equity or dynamic equity, where you could have a pool of equity and then workers can get their fair share of the equity based on their contributions and bonuses. Kind of like a pool that gets distributed later and, and sliced later. Um, some people have seen Slicing Pie, the book, it's similar to that. Uh, and he said that these are millions and millions of dollars. You can't, you know, time, blah, blah. So we had to move forward. But a couple of years later, I found a, a, um, a lawyer and he gave me the restricted stock unit documents. And then we used a, a Google spreadsheet to connect them and I ran a bunch of tests and, and it worked so well that our, our workers just started thinking like, this is real equity because I can see it and believe in it. And that's the whole point. Now I'm thinking about the problems of the company and shower on the way to work. So that was like the genesis of all of that. And then suddenly, as you can imagine, then eventually we, we turned it into a company. Can you, can you, can you explain this to me a little bit more? Um, so I, I've, I'm living the dream and I've got stock mm -hmm. in this super fast growing startup out of Silicon Valley. Okay. And, um, and there's an exit. And what you're telling me is that at that point, I could be asked to pay money to get my stock? That's right. Um, exactly. You've got it. So it can work a few ways. And generally how it works is if you're a worker and you're, we're talking stock options here, right? Yeah. Only stock options here. The way stock options work is you're granted these options, let's say a thousand units, thousand stock options over four years with a one-year cliff. So yeah, that means the, the, the usual one, right? That's the usual. Yeah, way it's the, the most the most classic case, right? This is what you see. So in the first year, you have to go through a whole year to get 250 of the 1,000. So you get one mm -hmm. quarter of them, and you have to make it past the cliff. So that one 12 months of the cliff. But then after that, you start earning a few more of these stock options every month because there's you know it's monthly after that up to the four years. Now, what happens is, let's say you come in and the company is worth $20 per share. Mm -hmm. And you, at the end of a year, it's still worth $20 per share. That means if you want to exercise the stock option, you have to pay $20 to exercise the option. Now, if you do pay that and you get that stock option, then now you've just, you're out, let's say maybe a few thousand dollars, maybe, maybe 10, 20,000, who knows, depends on what your percentage is and all that. Now, if you continue with the company 
um, then you you can you can receive you, you've exercised that option, and maybe the option is worth something, maybe not. You don't have to continue with the company at that point. You've you basically taken that option and turned it into real stock, and paid the money for it. But let's say uh, change the scenario a little bit. Let's say after one year you could buy the the you know the thousands of dollars worth of options. You could purchase it, but you say I don't know if I want to. I don't know if the company's going to work make make sense. I don't know if it'll work out. So I'm going to hold on to that option. I'm going to keep that option. And I'm going to hope that in the next couple of years, while I'm here at the company, they'll have a liquidity event. And then I'll be able, the, the whole company will be purchased. Then I'll get money for those stock options and I can, can pay the tax. And so basically get enough money to buy my stock options. That makes sense. Yeah. So that I, yeah. So, but the problem comes in where after four years, you're like, well, I don't know when the company's going to exit. Um, I have, when I leave, I want to leave the company. I want to go try something else. You know, not everybody wants to stay for eight, nine years. And they have to come up with the money to buy those options. Maybe by then it's not worth 10 or sorry, not worth 20. Maybe it's worth 50. Well, that, you know, that would be nice. But, and you could still purchase it back on the, you know, the stock option value when you first started, which is better that it's less than what it's worth now. But the problem there is if you buy it and you leave and then a year later the company goes belly up, You've just lost all that money. You've lost the thousands and thousands you spent on it. But if you leave and you don't purchase the option, you don't convert it, you may you just lose that option completely vaporized. So now you have nothing. So either way, you kind of could have nothing. What you have to do is you have to come up with the money, buy the option, and then if the company works out, then you do okay. But again, there, you're only getting the, the delta between $20 that you bought it at and what it went up to. Let's say if in a couple of years, you, the company is acquired, but it's not, it's not um, much more than 20. Let's say it's, you bought it at 20 and it's up at 21. Well, you've only made $1 per share. Consider that RSUs are quite a bit different and that you don't have to have all of this complex, these complex, you don't have these complex problems. With an RSU, if you're offered an RSU at 20 and a year later, the company exits at 30, well, you've just made 30, not 10, you've made 30. RSU is the entire value from zero up to 30. If a year later, let's say a different scenario, if you, a year later you exit and it's worth 20, well, it's worth 20. Even though you got it at 20 and it went up, it was 20, you're still worth 20. So it's between zero and 20. So that's that's pretty good. And for the companies, they don't go underwater. They don't give somebody an option. If you give somebody an option at 20 and then the company goes down to 19, it's literally worth nothing. It's worth negative $1. So that's really bad for the company. That's why one of the reasons why companies avoid suck options. Um, but if, with an RSU, if you get an RSU and you leave with our system, at least with double trigger vesting, it's important to know that those words. Mm -hmm. And if you leave, you don't have to pay the tax and you can wait for the company to uh, be acquired and then you'll get your fair share. You'll get enough cash to pay your tax. That's good. You know, you, and you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to do extra tax filings, all this stuff in general, generally speaking. You just get your, you get um, some lump sum. The only thing that sometimes stock options could have over RSUs is sometimes, not very often in my, my opinion, in my experience, um, stock options could get a better tax treatment. If you do all the right hoops and you jump through three hoops, maybe on the other side, you could get, you could save 10%, 20% of your taxes, depending on your current, your, your jurisdiction and how they treat stock options and all that stuff from a tax perspective. But I would, but usually RSUs end up coming out better because you have a greater chance of getting something at the end of the day. And often it's, and it's, and often it's more. 
So I'd rather take something that, an instrument where I have a greater chance of getting something, even if it's slightly less sometimes, there's a greater chance of getting it. So that's really what matters. So if, so this is, this is alarming to me, right? Um, <laughs> well, f- first, because like, yeah, I'm probably not going to have the money to buy the stock given I'm o- also on like a startup wage. That's mm-hmm. why I got the equity, right? Like, you got right? it. You, you've yeah. got it. Exactly. It's completely kind of crazy. It just, once you understand it, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, and that's mm-hmm. kind of why I'm taking the lower wage is that equity that I can't, may not be able to get. Um, so, right. yeah, like, I didn't know that, right? Um, right. I think a lot of people don't know that. And when they figure yeah. it out, they feel like, wait a second, I kind of feel scammed. If I'm working for the lower yeah. wage, but I'm given an instrument that I have very low chance of ever receiving, mm-hmm. well, what's that about? Yeah, I think you're, you're exactly right, Chris. Right. But the good, the good news is, right, if I look at your site and mm-hmm. you've got, you know, a lot of these great companies that you kind of aspire to join, Facebook mm-hmm. and Whatever else they do use this RSU, the way that you you set it up, right? So exactly, they They noticed that the other way is crazy. Stock options are crazy. RSUs Mm -hmm. are the way to go. What does RSU stand for? RSU stands for restricted stock units. So basically, a restricted stock unit is a contract or for future equity. It says the company we hereby promise you that you will receive your fair share uh, of units at a future date when the company is sold. That's generally how it works, or when you have when it's vested, especially if you have double trigger vesting. It says we'll give you the we'll give you the equity and or the cash if the company is sold or has an IPO. You'll get your cash or you'll get your stock, uh, and you'll you'll be able to pay your tax. That's the important thing. Our system doesn't vest it until there's a liquidity event because you don't want to be, you know, given this vest this vesting happens and now you owe a bunch of money on your tax. That that would be a bad situation. So this works in 70 plus countries. We've got all the language on our website. You can go to our countries page in the learn more section and see how how these are treated in your country. Right. And um and then and then the the idea to kind of gamify the back, you know, uh the back end, was that just so you could um and I imagine you even got plenty more scope to like I mean, um, you know, Zero did this quite famously with, you know, these kind of when you match up, you know, your expense, you know, it, you know, they, they both mm-hmm. go green and they go off the screen and it's been like gamified accounting software that people like love the product, right? Um, yep. So I guess you got that's, it. yeah, scope for, for even more gamified thing where you just see, you know, I don't know, coins flying or something and you're going, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to get in there and do my work today. Um, where did the kind yeah. of the idea to, gamify the back come from yeah you're spot on chris it's 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 almost like when we had all these icos and people were trying to, they were kind of gamified so you could get coins but then every people couldn't really figure it out because they weren't sure if it was a utility or a security and then they had to kind of make try to make it a utility but then it just didn't really work our system is like that except because we're using restricted stock units and we're using a, a system that people really recognize around the world in many many countries uh, and is already used in, in compensation in general um, we, it, it's completely legal, you know, in, in our way, or at least it's um, generally legal. Uh, it, you have to be careful, of course. So how did we figure this out? Well, it was when we were building Wonder, we just, us, me and the co-founders are saying, let's all, let's all contribute as much as we can, but, you know, we don't know how much time people could spend and if we were to start giving people stock options or those kind of fixed units, then that's only over time. But how do you, how do you deal with like, 
maybe somebody's going to start off as a contractor and then they're going to work five hours a week and then they're going to start working 10 hours a week and 50 hours a week. What do you do in that case? Uh, you, you, what are you going to do? Go and update their suck option agreement every couple of weeks just to change how it goes up and down? That doesn't make any sense. So maybe we can come up with a system. Um, and I'd heard from you know Steve Canuto at Oric about these systems up market. And so he started thinking about dynamic and performance equity. So we said, okay, well, what if we just create a, create a, a, a dashboard inside of a, a Google spreadsheet? What we'll do is we'll create a, a, um, a slice of the company and we'll use these documents over there that, that this lawyer gave us and we um, made them change them around a little bit. And we said, okay, here's 30% of wonder and everybody who's contributing can see their slice of wonder in real time. And what we'll do to, to make, to normalize that across all different people is we'll do it with points. And that's what they call it in this, this uh, performance equity business. They call it equity points or whatever you want to call it. Some kind of, it's a point system. And you can get points for really anything, whatever we want. And in our case, we said, okay, a developer is a hundred points per hour and a designer is 50 points per hour and an admin is 10 points per hour. And they're all recording their hours. And then if they maybe perform certain activities, maybe they would give, even get a little bit of a bonus. Maybe we'll give them quarterly bonuses based on performance. And you can see that people start accruing these points in this pool. And now they can see based on what percentage of points they have compared to everyone else, they can start to see in real time what percentage of the pool they own and how many RSUs they would receive if the company were to have a liquidity event today. And then you could, they could imagine, well, if things are going like they are, maybe in three years, I'll have 4% of that pool and that pool will be worth $4 million. Wow, great. So could this, could this work for like, I'm just, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking equity crowdfunding? Yes. Um, yes, no. It depends on what you mean by that. So equity crowdfunding is usually where people put in some money and then get a, a percentage of a company using a special purpose vehicle. Usually they'll have a sidecar to it where they, a bunch of people will have some units in the sidecar and then based on that percentage, they'll have, you know, so own some units in the main company and then that's how equity crowdfunding usually works. But in this mm -hmm. case, it's people, it's not people's money for ownership. We're saying it's people's time for ownership. It's a bit different. So we're talking about employment law here. We're talking about contractual rights for slices of equity based on an algorithm. So really what we're talking about here is uh, this is closer to employment law or contract law where people trade their time mm -hmm. for uh, ownership based on an algorithm. Well, I mean, uh, it could be a way that you then get the, you know, the investors of which usually, you know, the reason they people do the crowdfunding because they come kind of have some sort of community there and then they, it's mm -hmm. a way to kind of empower their community. Ah, yes, yes. And there then, is that. So, yes, yes. Yes, yes. Okay, so I think I see where you're going with that. And we talked about it a little bit uh, previously, was that we do have a system where you can have ambassadors or affiliates or whatever, maybe yeah. an army of people. And those, that army of people could be doing things like scouting out on college campuses or um, maybe uh, just getting the word out or perf you know, maybe making blog posts, writing blog posts, helping post on Quora, whatever. And you give those people a certain number of points based on the activity. And then they can receive a portion of the company because they've helped build that company. And, and so the company can set aside maybe 1% of the company for this pool. And then mm -hmm. they know that they're not going to run out of equity because they're not going to give each person a different amount. They know that because this is a dynamic pool, dynamic, dynamic or performance pool, 
they will give out the 1% and they will give it out fairly to the people who contributed to that pool. So it's a totally new way to do equity. And it's a great way for companies not to feel that scarcity model where they think, oh, I just want to give out the smallest amount because I'm afraid of running out. So this mm. is a pool that you don't really run out. Yeah, because it just like you drop out and you kind of run out of steam and you don't want to do it anymore, then it kind of just goes back into the pool. Well, it would be like if you drop out and you've already accrued a thousand points out of a hundred thousand points total. Well, now you've got one thousand of a hundred thousand. That's one percent. You have one percent of that pool. Let's say you stop working and other people do another hundred thousand dollars. Sorry, hundred thousand points. Now you've got one thousand out of two hundred thousand. So that's point five percent. You'll just keep getting diluted over time, mm-hmm. which is fine. You get your fair percent, um, and you, you'll be rewarded fairly for the, the contribution you did make over that the time you're there. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah, you still get what yeah. you you earn. Um, you got it. So, no. so Casey, um, just mindful of time here now. Um, sure. The um, so founders fund on board a bunch of other. Um, impressive investors and and then um you've kind of proven out the model the, you know i saw the dashboard since last time it, it's incredible you got companies um going a little bit gangbusters here in in covid what's what's next for upstock yeah so what's next is i mean we're just going to going further to market we've just launched in 63 plus countries it'll be 70 soon so it's really serving the whole world really helping people out across the board because napkin and handshake agreements just don't work. Stock option agreements don't work. So people need something to create the next next generation companies that can change the world and improve our situation together. So 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 of course we have you know, growth is next, but also other features. We are making it so that people can, can uh, companies can convert stock options, those old decrepit plans, they can get rid of them and offer people an upgrade. That we're pretty proud of, of that. Um, and then of course there's just further refinement and you know there's plenty of other features that we can do like bonuses and you know fine tuning and plenty of exciting features that are on the way so i can't talk about them all yet mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's, it's the biggest thing is building out our ambassador network bringing this to the world getting people psyched about this and um just bring, building awareness those, those are the biggest things and like i said a few features here and there as well so upstock.io and that's right casey thank you very much for joining me today thank you chris always a pleasure love hearing your voice and i uh, can't wait to hang out with you again hopefully somewhere in the world absolutely i don't know if i'm going to do the couch surfing. you know more of a uh, five-star kind of guy <laughs> sure well we'll whatever it takes uh, uh, one way or another i'm sure i'll be down under and now uh, we'll hang absolutely thanks mate catch you soon thanks chris cheers thank you for tuning in To keep up to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at any event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling.